10,000 downloads. That is the number that we've crossed a few days ago thanks to you, the listeners in Canada, the United States, Portugal, France, the UK, and from all over the world. It is thinking of you that I produce the podcast. And hitting this milestone only fuels my motivation to keep bringing you the most diverse and interesting guests every week. Thank you for being true fans of the show. When I was a postdoc, I did a lot of science journalism on top of being a postdoc. But this just, it just helped give me something else. Uh, journalism can be very satisfying. You, you, you have an article that's finished. Uh, you might, it can get published. So that helps to, to put a little bit of a different perspective on academic writing, which is very, very long and relatively painful. And I think balancing with the science with lots of other things that are going on in my life has helped keep a balance on it. So it's, it's not all consuming. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking research, graduate school, and career training with Jonathan Weitzman. Jonathan is a professor of genetics at the Université de Paris, founding director of the Center for Epigenetics and Cell Fate, and director of the Magistère Masters in Genetics program. Welcome to Papa PhD, Jonathan. Thanks very much for having me. It's, it's great to be, to be on the podcast. So I've been listening avidly to you, so it's great to, to participate. So, um, so I was born in, in England, um, in the middle of England. I grew up in, in Wales and um, then I, I started a relatively classic um, scientific career uh, with an undergraduate degree at the University of Manchester in biochemistry. And then I went to, in England at the time you could go straight from an undergraduate to a PhD. So I went to um, do my PhD at the University of Oxford and um, working on uh, regulation of gene expression and uh, leukocyte integrins, if that means something. And um, we can talk about the PhD experience. It had its ups and downs like they always do. It seems a long way back. Um, so um, I, it, it, was, um, it was a good experience, but it had its ups and downs. And... Um, And then I went to do a postdoc. At the time, it was uh, it was very fashionable to go to the States to do a postdoc. It was almost obligatory to go to the States. And uh, so I went to do a postdoc at um, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which is part of Harvard Medical School. And I followed this interest in integrins, in cell adhesion molecules, and this time in a, in a cancer context, trying to understand how cancer cells interact with their environment. And... Um, And a postdoc also goes up and down. It, I had a fantastic time, uh, both s scientifically and um, and personally. And um, and then I met a woman, and suddenly the plan changed. And uh, because my wife is from France, so uh, we decided to leave the states and come back to Europe. And um, and as I was looking for a second postdoc, I could go anywhere. 
So we decided to come to Paris, which was not part of the plan. <laughs> and um, so we moved to Paris and I did a second postdoc at the Pasteur Institute, working on, um, on transcription and gene regulation. And, um, and the second postdoc went very, very up and down. Uh, we can we can talk about it, um, and there. But I got uh, I I eventually got got a big paper, and the big paper got me a big job, and I became a faculty member at the Pasteur Institute. In French, we say pasteurisé, pasteurized. <laughs> so awesome. so the, the Pasteur Institute is a private. Uh, it's a fantastic private uh, research institute that has a few. Um, uh, tenure jobs, so I got a job there, and I and I was a uh, began to create uh, in a in a larger empire a, a small team, and then um, about twelve years ago I left the Pasteur Institute and became a professor at the university, uh, what's now become the University de Paris, University of Paris, and um, ten years ago I set up a research um, center um, for epigenetics and cell fate. Uh, and we can talk about that. And I, I run a master's program, as you've been saying. That's the linear story. Yeah, yeah. There's P always a linear story. PhD, <laughs> PhD, postdoc, second postdoc, tenure job, university professor, director of an institute. Um, that makes it look very linear. It, of course, <laughs> some, I once published a paper and gave a seminar and uh, to students and 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 the seminar went very well but the first not the first question one of the questions a student put their hand up and said that's amazing it all sounds so what did it really happen like that and i was like well actually let me tell you the true story so it's a bit like a scientific publication we make it look very linear and very, yeah we make it look like that's where we were going but um but it was uh, it was more complicated than that, and um, with lots of ups and downs, lots of and and detours and tangents, yeah, and, and unexpected uh, things and, and roadblocks, yeah. etc. No, that, that's normal and it's to be expected. Just a question: so you went straight from the undergrad to the PhD in uh, in England in the UK. The PhD is three years. So then you're quite young going to the states for a postdoc, uh, and and so this all went quite fast compared to what probably people are experiencing today yes yeah, so um so at the time uh, an undergraduate degree in the uk was three years and actually at the time um everybody got a grant from the government so you you were uh, yeah which was amazing time and then a phd at the time uh, you could do straight away and it was three years um i had a half a fourth year i had six more months where i actually wasn't paid which <laughs> you can't do anymore and um and then i went uh, so yeah you leave your post your phd in england um a little bit like in france you leave it very young um so the advantage is you get through very quickly uh, the disadvantage is that that you arrive in your postdoc and you're you're scientifically very immature so i had one paper from my phd uh, and and i i had a lot to learn and that's why I sort of made up for the speed by doing two postdocs. Um, so, so I did a long postdoc period, which today, for lots of reasons, is harder. I managed to fund those two relatively long postdocs, and um, but it gave me a lot of time to mature, to publish, and I also was lucky that I could do those two postdocs in two different countries, neither of which was my country of origin. So, I think I really learned a lot. 
my one piece of advice i we'll see how much advice you can get out of me but but one piece of advice is um is not to rush i think as a scientist you need to take your time so either you take your time as a phd in which case uh, i think phd is where you go into a fourth fifth year you really in the fourth and fifth year it's not just a bit more you you really change the way you can ask questions the types of projects you can take on um and if you do it the other way around if you do a quick phd i think uh, today i would recommend that that people take their time to do uh, maybe maybe two postdocs or a long postdoc so that you really get the time to to mature scientifically and i think I don't think there's any advantage to 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 rushing through. That's that's very sound advice, actually. Uh, uh, actually, people. So, from the the, the students that you see uh, around you in France, uh, in Paris, what what kind of path are they following, and and how easy are they having it finding their way? You know, navigating their way to this the highs and lows that we're gonna speak in a minute. <laughs> that we're gonna talk about. So. Um... Yeah, it's 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 complicated when you're when you're a professor because you you're sort of feeding the funnel, right? You you're so and you're encouraging students. Um, so I run a master's program. It's a, it's a very selective, um, high quality, high profile um, research orientated master's program in genetics. And um, it's a it's a three year program. The students uh, have a lot of research experience, normally in more than one country. They do an internship in the states, an internship in Europe, and a long internship in in France. So they have a lot of research experience, and um, and we are we encourage them to to, to uh, explore uh, research careers. So uh, out of the program, so the the. The last year of the program has uh, over 100 students, and the majority of those will try and do a PhD. Uh, in France, there's a competition for PhD fellowships. Um, our program has a very, very high success rate because they've had so much experience. Uh, they're all bilingual. They're 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 very, very good students. So so most of them, like 95%, will go on to a PhD. Most of those in France, but also uh, in other European countries, in the States and whatever. Um, and that that transition is is relatively easy for them. We've prepared them very well. They they feel confident. After the PhD, uh, we're acutely aware that for every hundred going into a PhD, there's only tenure jobs for a tiny percentage of those. And and when I so I became a, a professor twelve years ago when. Almost 15 years ago, actually, when I became a professor, um, there there was it was the beginning of a transition where we were being more honest with the students about the fact that the most of them would not go into academic careers. And um, what we're trying to defend today is the idea that that the PhD is just an excellent training for everything, for any career. And... um, There's this idea of a formation par la recherche that 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 being in a lab and having a research project and and all the ups and downs of a PhD is just a fantastic training for for anything afterwards. So so we we defend the idea of a PhD not necessarily to become a professor or a researcher, but but just as a as a a, a 
training for, for life almost. Um, when I became a professor, uh, I was they allowed me to create some new uh, teaching modules. And, um, and one of the ones that I proposed at the time was called Recherche uh, et Development en Entreprise, so Research and Development in, in Industry. And, um, and at the time, there was a lot of resistance from some professors saying, what, why are we teaching this? This isn't genetics. Uh, and this class has been extremely uh, popular and has really helped uh, students think about what they can do with the Master in Genetics that is not uh, public sector research and maybe not even at the bench at all. And, uh, and many students have cited this court class as the first time they started to think about, about alternatives. And, um, and the success of the class, one of the successes is, um, is to, uh, I, I say you can, the, you were only selected for this class if you promised to come back and tell us about your experiences. So we have a lot of students who come back and, and tell us about the things they've done after, either after the master's or even after their PhD. As I was saying, it's super, super interesting. And I, I find it very encouraging to see universities, you know, taking that step of, of showing the students the, the professional reality after a PhD. And, and, you know, we were saying not everyone's going to have a spot as a professor. But then, uh, tell me if you agree with me, that not everyone fits into or, or the, the, the lifestyle and, and uh, the routine of being a professor and a uh, principal investigator doesn't fit with everyone. There's also that. This, this, is, this is not for everyone. And if it's not for you, you should definitely go and do something else. It's badly paid and the hours are long and it's, uh, it's not very glorious. But your PhD will serve you in many other domains. And, and this is, it's, it comforts me so much to hear you say that, uh, because this is what I believe deeply. And this is one of the messages I want to put out there with Papa PhD is people go, come out of PhDs and they do everything and they do it very well. So one of the things that I, that I say to my students is that um, one of the problems in a university setting is that most of my colleagues don't know anything else because they, they did the linear postdoc, uh, junior lecturer, professor. Um, so it, they, they genuinely don't have a lot of uh, other experience. And I think one of the reasons that I teach differently is, um, is that I tried to leave science several times and went and did other things. And, um, and, and so I have seen some, uh, some, other, some other professions and, uh, and in those journeys, I think there's a transition in, in, in many um, science-related careers where, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, if you were the science correspondent of uh, a national newspaper 20 years ago, you didn't need a PhD. Uh, today, you do need a PhD. If you were a patent lawyer, even in the life sciences 20 years ago, you didn't need a PhD. Today you do. So there are many, many professions where today, if you want to do those successfully and compete, you need to have a PhD, whether it's patent law, whether it's science communication, science journalism, and, and, and I could go on and on, many others. So, I just want to take a moment before going on with the interview to let you know that you can help me end the show by leaving a star rating and a comment on your podcasting app. 
If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash PhD now and become a supporter. For the equivalent of a coffee per month, you'll be helping me immensely with the recurring costs of hosting and producing the show. Again, thank you for being a true fan. Yeah, the, and if you look at the roster of guests that have been on Papa PhD, I have a lot of guests who are in in the in the life sciences because that's where I come from and that's what where my network naturally takes me. But uh, I've I've started to have people from other domains and uh, and they tell these stories. They they're doing very different things that that what they did uh, during their their thesis for sure. Um, I it's funny because I I was going to ask you about uh, you know maybe talking about those roller coaster moments during your academic path and and maybe you can talk about one or two that that have marked you and f- from which from which you've taken important lessons uh but now you really piqued my interest uh, uh, uh into those trying to get out of uh, of science and then science pulling you back i i'd like to know how that dance happened and and uh, <laughs> to hear a little bit about you know what, what that was all about and of course maybe if you can give us one of one or two you already alluded to to something a, a little bit but lessons and and how that enriched you and and your career your academic career uh, as as it is today but um maybe yes let's let's uh, if you have a one or two things for people who are still either in their phd or in their postdoc and and are dealing with this okay there's good moments there's bad moments how do I keep the motivation to, to, you know, to push through and to finish my PhD and to, you know, go through my postdoc and and maybe try another postdoc? How did you deal with the the, the roadblocks, difficulties that naturally happen in such in this type of projects? Do you have examples of of, of things that were turning points, uh, or when you were maybe were really demotivated and but you were able to then say no okay there's a breakthrough now i can publish and this is going to be fine but the the first thing even before we get into some examples is uh i think it's um you shouldn't think look at successful people and say wow they must be good at everything they do and in, you know because they're smiling today they must have always been smiling um so I think it's natural. Um, I, I said the other day to to a student, it's like being in love. I mean, you're not in even you even if you're in love with your wife, it still goes through ups and downs. You're not. It's not the same intensity all the time. So, so you can expect to have low points. Um, uh, that excitement of the first experiment that gives you an exciting result, you know that you're going to have to repeat it at least two or three other times. So, and and that's not it's rarely interesting to repeat an experiment. So, so it can't always, always be exciting. Um, I, um, so, so I went through the highs and lows. How did I deal with it? I think um, it depends on different, uh, different points in my life, but I think generally um, one of the ways I dealt with it was um, I don't think science has ever been my entire life. So I have a lot of other things going on. Uh, today it's complicated because, you know, I have a family and I'm a teacher. So those are, but, but I think uh, always having something else going on uh, has, has helped me keep the perspective about the science. Um, so for example, 
I never work, and I have never worked uh, on Saturday. Saturday, I never, ever done science for my entire career. It's a day off. And I think it's really important to have days off. Now, those days off can be just leisure days off, or they can be days off doing something else. So um, when I was a postdoc, I did a lot of science journalism on top of being a postdoc. But this just, it, it just helped give me something else. Uh, journalism can be very satisfying. You, you, you have an article that's finished. Uh, you might, it can get published. So that helps to, to put a little bit of a different perspective on the science writing for academic writing, which is very, very long and very, and relatively painful and, and goes through lots and lots of rewrites and submissions and rejections. And so having, having, I think, I think balancing with the science with lots of other things that are going on in my life, some of them science related, some of them just completely different things, um, has helped keep a balance on it. So it's, it's not all consuming. Um, so I think that's one thing. And, and, and another thing is that, um, this is a, this is a fantastic profession when it's going well, but when it's going badly, yeah. it just sucks. As I said, it's <laughs> badly paid. The hours are long. The social status is poor. Um, the, the returns on investment are low. Um, so if you lose the, I, th if you really lose it, then it, then it just becomes, it becomes difficult to do. So at those po points, the real low points, I try to leave. I try to follow my heart and do something else. Um, writing was one of them. So I did a lot of journalism, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for some reason that I still can't work out why I always came back. And, uh, and this is another thing is, is that there's a myth that, that the only way to do science is to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that there's no room for anything else during your PhD. And that if you leave, you can never come back. And my experience is uh, you shouldn't be doing anything seven days a week. And um, there's much more opportunity to leave or to test other things um, at the same time. You have to have, uh, you have to have, the energy to do that, the opportunities and, and, a, and a structure that will allow you to do that. Yeah, of um, so, of course, there's um, institutions or, or, or labs or centers where it's hard for students to even mention that they want to do something on the side. Uh, it's, it's frowned upon, etc. There's many things that can prevent you from, from... But there are, for example, science communication. There are... Uh, there's more pressure today on, on a lab to, to communicate science. And, and I think there are many PIs are not equipped and not that interested in that. I think there are many opportunities for, for more junior members of a team to be involved in pint of science or science fairs or things that, that, that help the lab so it's still justifiable, but but give you a chance to explore other skills that you might have. Definitely, definitely. So uh, can you tell, uh, tell the, the audience a little bit how you, know, how you went about finding uh, an opportunity in, in journalism and in writing? How, you know, if someone has a, uh, someone out there is in their PhD or in the postdoc, they like to write, uh, well, maybe they can start a blog, but how do you go about becoming a, a journalist or trying to become a journalist? A scientific journalist, I imagine. 
So, so when I was I was doing a second postdoc, and and a second postdoc is hard. You, is, what what are you doing there? And and it has to work, or it's it's make or break. And um, and I remember my my father had come to visit for the weekend, and he said, "Well, what's the plan? You know, if it doesn't work out, what are you going to do?" And I said, like I thought a lot of scientists think, well, if it doesn't work, I could always write. And I think scientists think they they all think because we think we write papers. Of course, you could write. So uh, so my father said, well, have you ever written anything? And I was like, well, I published a few papers. He said, no, but that doesn't make you a writer. So have you ever written anything? And I was like, no, but I I know I can do it, right? So he this exchange made me think. Well, I I need to. I need to be able to show that I really am a writer because rather than just thinking that everyone can write. So I, um, I had an opportunity. My, I was working um, for a very famous scientist at the Pasteur Institute and we, it was the summer and he had received a article for publication in Nature magazine. And, uh, and he said, do you want to review the paper or you know, take a look at it and we can review it together? So he gave me this manuscript and um and I I wrote I we discussed it and I helped him write the review and um and the paper was a, the paper was a paper from Bob Weinberg's lab where they had showed that uh with four virus viral uh, oncogenes you could transform a normal cell into a cancer cell very nice paper and um and I thought, oh, this is a, maybe an opportunity. So I wrote to the editor of Nature and said, were you planning to have a news and views on this uh, paper? And uh, she said, we were. Do, do, would you like to write it? So, uh, so, so we wrote it. So that was easy because we'd reviewed the paper. Actually, maybe I shouldn't even be saying that we'd reviewed the paper, but this was years ago. And, and the, paper, the paper was really a landmark paper anyway. So, so we got to, to write a news and views and then I had this exchange with my father and I thought, wow, this is maybe the only time in my life that I know what's going to be published in next week's Nature before before anyone else. Uh, and of course, I didn't realize that all journalists have access to, to what's in next week's Nature. But but I for me, this was a first. So I wrote to the editors of um, of of national newspapers saying, I know what's going to be in next week's nature. Are you interested in an article? <laughs> they must have laughed because, uh, but, but, um, they had a news Clive Cookson, already, right? They had something, some sort of, yeah. So, but Clive Cookson, who was the scientific, um, editor of the financial times, which is a very a prestigious British newspaper. Uh, he said, look, I don't know who you are because you've never written anything, but, if you send me 400 words, if it's good, I'll publish it. And if not, you know, no, no, no commitment. So I wrote 400 words uh, and he liked it and he published it and he sent me a check. Oh my. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 and I, and I was like, wow, this is, this is great. This is better than being a postdoc. So then I started to write, um, uh, for, for and it was really I really enjoyed writing for another audience. So the Financial Times in particular, and then I published an article in the Times, a longer article, and it was shortlisted for a prize. And 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 I felt I, I felt I could do this. Um, 
I looked at the business model of freelance journalism and realized that it was just as bad as being a postdoc. But the great thing is that once you published in the Financial Times and then the Times, then then you can say I I I I have you know a, a press book. So um, so then I worked um, I worked a lot for um, for a guy called Vitek Trach, who was the founder of Biomed Central, and um, and he was very interested in open access, and I became extremely interested in the open access movement. And uh, he was looking for writers. Uh, and um, so I had um, I had what today would be called a blog, but at the time they called it Spotlights for a journal that was just launching, which is called Genome Biology, that today is a very, very established journal. So Genome Biology, in order to, to build up some, some attraction and some visibility, uh, every day they would have a spotlight on a paper that had just been published that week. And uh, I used to write five of these every week. Um, so that means reading the paper and summarizing it in a few hundred words for a relatively broad audience. So um, so I got really, I mean, I got really used to, to, to reading and writing uh, for a different audience, mostly for a science audience. So um, so I did lots of projects with uh, with with Vitek, um, at one point I was editor of an open access journal, which is about trying to promote open access. And uh, so, so I did a lot of writing and um, I found it wonderfully liberating because uh, you could write without having to, to have <laughs> to worry about the references and the, yeah, you could, you could write much freer. You could use your creativity more. You could, you know, play with, with words, which I, I, love to do anyway and um and and so 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 coming back to your question what advice i think today there are so many outlets for for content um there are there are i think everyone is looking for high quality content whether it's uh, blogs or websites or and uh, i mean there's an explosion of content and and it's so easy to do and then once you've done it then then you know whether it's just if it's just postings on other someone else's blog site. Uh, once they once you've done it, then then you have the press. Then you have a cre- credentials, and then and then you get better at it, etc. So and the, and the barriers to entry, particularly for writing and even for science communication, are so low today. There are so many opportunities that that you shouldn't say. Well, if it doesn't work, I could write. You should go and write. And the same thing is. Uh, you know about science communication so for example science festivals and pint of science they're fantastic opportunities today your phd in, in 180 seconds there are so many opportunities to get on a stage and and talk about your work and uh one thing that i take from from your from the way you got in is you don't be afraid to be bo- a little bit bold you know you know, writing to the editor of, of Financial Times. You know, it's it's a bit. Uh, uh, I don't know. Bold, I think, is the right term. Uh, don't be afraid. Uh, and if it's something you believe in and that and that interests you, because I think one of the key things is you were writing about stuff you felt really strongly about, right? And and that must have made a difference for you. You really wanted to write this piece, and then you know you gain this uh, taste for like a. 
for for um, writing science to a different audience and i think you enjoyed it a lot i think that's something that people who are evaluating you as a writer will feel and that will count a lot but you're right that now even people some people are just opening twitter accounts that are team you know or or blogs that are on a certain team that interests them a lot there's a many many ways uh, to to gain experience and to build a kind of a portfolio like you were saying that you can then present if ever you really want to become a journalist or you really and you get you get to see whether whether you are any good and whether you do like it and um so some people try it and just say i, I don't like doing this and and the other thing is the sort of the um You know, the 10,000 hours, I'm sure other people have talked about this. So so I think I could justify, even as a scientist, doing the science writing, because I learned to read and and sum up articles much, much quicker than if I hadn't read all those papers. So writing five papers a week means I had to read five papers a week. And reading five papers a week as a postdoc, which is not on your subject, because they, they couldn't all be about about integrin signaling or oncogenic pathways. They had to be about everything. Um, that's just fantastic. It, that's helpful. That's probably helped me even today as a teacher and as a communicator. And uh, um, so, and, and then it, it, it's, a, as you say, it's a, it's a, a rolling ball. So, so I just published a, a couple of years ago, I published a book on genetics for, uh, for a broad public with my brother which is called uh, 30 Seconds Genetics. It's um, e Each page is... The idea is that you can plunge in and in 30 seconds you can learn something about a, about a scientific concept. So it's very easy to read, very uh, grand public. Um, actually, interestingly, in, in France it's called... Uh, or the French version is called uh, Trois Minutes. <laughs> They're like, mm, 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, 30 seconds in one language, three minutes in another. But, <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, um, so it's been, and then I, you know, a couple of, a year and a half ago, I did a TED talk, TEDx talk, uh, which was also a fantastic experience. And, and the other thing is you, the more you do You there's always a chance to get better, as you, you said yourself. Yeah, so even when you think you're good, there's you can always be better. So um, every time you, you every time you take on these challenges, um, you it's like polishing uh, polishing a stone. Uh, it's super super interesting, and uh, it really talks to something that I believe a, lo a lot, and uh, and it is that if you take the time to try different things while you're in university because being in university per se is a great experience and you do have some liberty of using your time to do different things although depending again on your research the, the flexibility might differ and it can even change during the year or whatever but you can only gain by being bold trying new things uh, as, as many as possible find that you're not good at this but then find that you're really good and enjoy that And eventually it can become a side gig and a career, who knows? Uh, or it can be another facet of your academic career, which is, which is the case here. We're reaching the, the mid, middle point of the interview. Uh, we're going to have a little pause, but uh, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about your experiences uh, outside academia and also your, your projects. Uh, you already mentioned doing a TEDx, uh, publishing a book, uh, and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But 
after the pause we'll resume and uh, and see a little bit more and talk a little bit more about what you're doing today and how all these experiences from uh, from uh, from your path brought you to to where you are today uh, academically but also uh, in the uh, extra academic activities in part two of our conversation Jonathan and I talked about how his experiences outside academia inspired him in his research and in his teaching. So be sure to tune in tomorrow to hear about the project he's been developing with his students and about how he's been helping them successfully transition to their professional lives. If you enjoyed the insights shared on the show each week and would like to dig deeper into some of the subjects covered, you can now join the Papa PhD Postgraduate Career Exploration Group on Facebook. There, you will find like-minded listeners, but also a few of the past guests who will be taking part in the conversation. So, to start a conversation, just go to facebook.com forward slash PapaPhD and ask to join. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD Podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music